Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your word never changes, no matter what the culture or society is or says or thinks. We don't need to water down your word or change it to fit the culture. We, we change ourselves to fit in line with your word. We thank you that it is all-powerful, that it cuts us to the quick, that it is your life and strength and power and source of transformation in our lives. I pray that your spirit would go forth today and work in our hearts, open our eyes and our ears to, have, to hear what you have for us this morning, and that it wouldn't just stay in our brains, but it would make our, its way down to our hearts and make real change in our lives. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Here are some of the funniest headlines that have actually appeared in newspapers gathered by a lifestyle website, which are unbelievable that they got past the editor and as such enter the realm of absurdity. I may or may not have laughed a little too hard at some of these. Uh, here's the first one. Bugs flying around with wings are flying bugs. Well, that's good to know. I don't know where we'd be as a human race if it wasn't for this news headline here. The next one is this. Amphibious pitcher makes debut. If anybody catches on, okay. I'm sorry, but this amphibious man being a baseball pitcher is not the, probably the most important thing I'd like to know about him, how his body works and how he came to be this way. I have a ton more questions none of which have anything to do with baseball, as to how he became an amphibious man here. All right, and lastly, bridge closure date, Thursday or October. <laughs> no one really knows or cares, apparently. Let's hope it's not that important of a repair job. <laughs> as we begin to deal with the fallout from Jesus healing the man born blind and using the clay he made from dirt and spit to do it, the headline of that day to everyone who heard the news was hard for anyone to believe. Not because of human absurdity or editing mistake, but because it was actually impossible in their minds to actually have happened. We'll see what their responses are as we start looking at the resulting controversy and how that connects to us today. If we remember from last week, the way Jesus healed this man and gave him his sight was the very first time in his life, for the very first time in his life, was chock full of symbolism that once again pointed to Jesus' deity, his role in creation, and his position of healer of every spiritual, physical, emotional, psychological pain and wound, along with every past trauma and abuse. Since it was through him that man was formed uh, out of the same dirt of the ground that he then used to form the clay, using the spit from his human body, he has the same power to bring healing to our bodies and spirits in every way. And one day it will be he who returns in the clouds to resurrect our bodies from death or the earth, reunite them with our souls, and give all those who put their faith and trust in him for their salvation brand new, perfected, and glorified bodies free from all pain, limitations, conditions, brokenness, and tears. 
But Jesus did not perform this miracle behind closed doors or in secret. He did it on the steps of the temple with hundreds of people milling all around him, his disciples and the man who he healed. These hundreds of gawkers then followed this man to the pool of Siloam where he washed the clay off his eyes and could now see. So within a few seconds of this man shouting that he could see while on the steps of the pool of Siloam where there were even more people there, who, uh, there would have been many, many people standing around watching all of this unfold and wondering what in the world had just happened. That's what brings us to our passage this morning. So if you brought your Bible with you, please turn to John chapter 9. Uh, we're going to be in verses 8 through 17 this morning. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's okay. There should be one located in the pew in front of you. Please also turn to John chapter 9 or look this up on your favorite Bible app on your smartphone. John chapter 9, verse 8. We start to see the response here. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Verse 9. Others were saying, This is he. Still others were saying, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the one. The rumors instantly start flying around. Nothing was that much different 2,000 years ago. The rumors instantly start flying around. Isn't that the guy? No, that can't possibly be the same guy. Well, what if it is? Well, it can't be because what just happened is impossible. It has to be someone who only looks like him. We can see these same statements and questions as knee-jerk responses being instantly thrown around today. Imagine someone live-tweeting out what they were witnessing. I just saw a dude I know has been blind his entire life, be healed and given eyesight by this other guy smearing mud on his eyes, is the original tweet. Get ready, here come the trolls. That's impossible. You're on something. It's obviously not the same guy. What is wrong with you? What are you, some kind of religious or conspiracy nut? You're crazy. And those are just the mild, non-explicative-filled mocking responses or ones that cruelly attack that person as a human being. You'd also have those who'd say things like, my God still works miracles today. Or even, I don't know how to explain it, but I think it's possible. And then those people would get attacked for being ignorant or hyper-religious or something because, you know, the Twitter verse is known for overflowing with people with common decency and respect for their fellow human beings. <laughs> Glad you caught on. Okay, verses 8 through 9 in this morning's passage are the Apostle John's record of the first century human responses to what they had just seen unfold before their very eyes. Some brought up at all the possibility that this was indeed the same man who had been blind from birth. Some flat out refused to believe it. And some thought, eh, maybe, I suppose it's a possibility. To all of these responses, the now healed man keeps repeating himself over and over again. Yes, I am that same guy. As one biblical scholar noted, the language that John records this man saying is very similar to Jesus' statements lately that we've been looking at about himself being none other than I am. And this is the point. If the, if the people believed that this man's statements that I am that same man 
then they open up the door of believing that Jesus is the I am that healed him through his deity. We see in this passage, as noted by biblical scholars, that all of this man's statements are personal and simple. But they all open the door to others putting their faith in Jesus as I am. And their only source of salvation, eternal life, and healing of everything in their lives. This is the first statement that we just read. The second statement is found here after the crowd asks him how he could now see. Verse 10. So they were saying to him, how then were your eyes opened? Verse 11, he answered, the man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and received sight. In other words, they ask, well, if you are the same guy, how in the world do you think you can now see? As pointed out by biblical scholars, the man's response is just stating simple facts. As if a witness was giving simple observational facts they witnessed in a crime to a police detective. In other words, this is what I saw. Or in this man's case, this is what I heard and felt happen to me. You, you see in his response in verse 11, there's no interpretation to it. He just simply flat out states, this is what happened. Boom, 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 boom. Take it or leave it. This is what happened. Number one, it was done by a man everyone calls Jesus. Number two, he made clay and put it on my eyes in the same way someone would be anointed with oil for healing. Number three, the man called Jesus, told me to go to the pool of Siloam and wash off the mud on my eyes. Number four, I went there, did it, and now I can see. That's all I know. Stim simple stated facts. These, what he says, are undeniable facts. You can interpret them whatever way you want to, but these are the facts, he says, of how my life was changed forever. You cannot deny the change that has suddenly occurred in my life, even if you deny how this change suddenly occurred in my life. To all those who look at your life and wonder the same thing, this isn't the same person who was hopeless. This isn't the same person who needed miraculous healing. This isn't the same person who was enchained to that addiction for so long. This isn't the same person who had so much fear. This isn't the same person who just wanted the world and to party the rest of their life. This isn't the same person who approached all their problems with worldly and selfish desires. You can say, I am! I am that same person. I am that same human. But I'm a different person now. I've been changed by Jesus. That's the one and only difference. And you can have that same healing, redemption, and change too. Just looking at someone who Jesus has saved and is transforming through his Holy Spirit is the most basic witness and testimony we have. To have someone look at who you are now and how you live your life now and wonder, that's impossible. People don't change. I don't understand it, but I also can't deny the evidence standing right before me. That's the thing. 
The people in our passage are arguing over what happened to this guy, but the only way they could deny the evidence standing right in front of them was to deny that it was even the same guy. Do you see that? In the same way, people in your life can argue over what happened to you or not be ready to believe it or flat out refuse to see it, but none of their response can deny the evidence of what Jesus has clearly done in your life. They can either take it or leave it, but they can't deny you're different and you've changed. It's the perfect starting point to then tell them why and how you're different and you've changed. We sang a hymn a few minutes ago, Blessed Assurance, this is my story. This is my song. We all have a story. We all have ways that God has changed us and is changing us through Jesus and his Holy Spirit. If God in his plan decided to lead you to put your faith in Jesus later on in your life and you have a past filled with hardship and worldliness and destructive decisions, that's part of your story to share the clear and obvious difference in why you're different now with those in your life who knew you before. If you gave your life to Jesus earlier in your life, you have a story of the grace and protection from destructive decisions that God has poured out over your life. And the difference maker, again, is that Jesus is the source of that. If you gave your life to Jesus earlier on, walked away from him for a period of, of, of a time, and even years and years, experiencing the destructiveness of the world and worldly thinking, and came back to Jesus, you have the story that he rescued you, and he is the only reason for the marked change others can see in you since then. And there are all sorts of stories in between. Everything God has done in your life and allowed in your life is both for his reasons, for his glory, and for all of it to be a part of your story that people wonder at what happened. Why are you different now? What changed? And that basic observational witness is the most basic testimony we all have to now open the door to explain that it's only because of Jesus. It's not because of anything we've done or who we are. It's only because of Jesus and how they can also have that salvation, redemption, healing, and transformation too. The man in our story isn't quite there yet with his faith in Jesus, but it still doesn't remove the impact that our story of the faith Jesus has given to us can have on others. He could still lay out the facts that he was a changed and different person from that point on, and it was because of the one called Jesus. We can also tell others point blank that the changes they see in our lives are only because of Jesus and we can give more detail as to how Jesus is doing it. Be open about how you're different and changed. And when others ask how and why, you can simply lay out the facts that it was Jesus who did it, just like the man in our passage this morning. You don't have to come up with some eloquent speech or something you have to try to convince somebody with. Just to lay out the simple facts of what Jesus has been doing in your life and say, you can have this too. Do you want to know how? 
In our passage, the people still don't know what to think. So they demand to know where this Jesus is so they can get his explanation of what actually happened because surely this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Verse 12, they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. But that was the problem. As noted by one biblical scholar, the man doesn't know where Jesus went or was because he was still blind at the time. He left where he was, he left where Jesus had been to go to the pool of Siloam, and in the meantime, Jesus had left the temple area. Being foiled in that plan to get to the bottom of what actually happened, because it still sounds so unbelievable and so impossible to them, the people do the only thing in their minds that they can do next. Bring the matter to the experts and get their take on it but we'll see what the experts in actuality thoroughly ignorant take is on all of this. Verses 13 through 14. They brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Now it was the Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. John sets up that the man that the people bring this man to the Pharisees, the so-called experts on Judaism and all things Jewish, and then John makes one little detail come out, that it was technically a Sabbath day when Jesus had made the clay. That will come up again in a second. For now, the Pharisees start making their own investigation into the matter. Verse 15. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, Simple facts again. He applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Once again, all this man does is simply lay out the facts. I was blind from birth. The man called Jesus put clay on my eyes. I washed it off. Now I see. That's it. Again, like we see in verse 15, it's just plainly stated facts. There's no spin. There's no interpretation. There's no agenda. There's no manipulation. For us, it can be as simple as, I was blind and was messed up. I repented of my sin, made Jesus my Savior and King. Now I can see. I'm still messed up in a lot of ways, but Jesus is still changing me. Plain facts that are undeniable to anyone looking at you and your life. Look at what the Pharisees are emphasizing. Verse 16. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. The Pharisees are emphasizing that little detail that John makes note of in verse 14, that it was technically a Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and healed this man. I understand the Pharisees' anger and dilemma if not making clay was actually in the Jewish law. The problem they failed to recognize is that it's not. They made it up. They added it to the Jewish law. It was Jewish tradition, not law, that expanded the kneading of dough to also include the kneading of clay. You're kind of making a stretch here, saying that Jesus had taken clay and was kneading it. Furthermore, they had beef with Jesus healing on a Sabbath, but the only rabbinic teaching on that included the forbidding of physicians performing cures on the sick with their remedies, not miraculous healings by God. 
But the Pharisees are so focused on these details that they first fail to see the bigger picture of Jesus bringing healing to someone who had been suffering with blindness. And secondly, that neither of these details actually applied to this situation. Even in their own tradition, like I said, Jesus was not kneading clay to do work in making a pot or a jar or a cup or something. And he wasn't a physician giving treatment to a patient, another form of work. But the Pharisees were so focused on finding something, anything, to nail Jesus with that they couldn't even see beyond their own far-stretching of Jewish tradition, much less it having anything to do with the Jewish law itself. Because of their manipulation of not just the law, but even of Jewish tradition, some of the Pharisees confirmed in their minds that because Jesus didn't keep the Sabbath, he wasn't righteous. He didn't actually perform a miraculous healing. He was some kind of charlatan. And none of this even happened the way the man is describing it, point blank. Here was the problem with that, as others in the Pharisaical order brought up. They had been presented with undeniable facts, which the man had clearly and simply given. He was blind. Jesus put clay on his eyes. He washed and all of a sudden could see for the very first time in his life. And there he was standing right in front of them. A lot of these guys probably recognized him from the temple steps. They couldn't say, How many fingers am I holding up? He answers correctly and say, nah, none of this is real. So some of the Pharisees make that point in verse 16. They say, we can all plainly see this guy who we recognize, who had once been blind. We recognize him as the same guy we passed by on the steps of the temple each and every day for decades. And he can now clearly see. This is clearly a miraculous healing by God. There's no denying it. If it was done by this Jesus, he obviously can't be the sinner we're making him out to be. God does not work such wonders through someone who blatantly breaks his Sabbath law. So we can see some amount of reasonableness here, even though it won't ultimately matter in the long run. This obviously creates a division among the Pharisees, as verse 16 says. Either this this didn't actually happen, and there's some huge con going on, because Jesus is actually a sinner who is a loser God's not going to work through, or this did actually happen, and it's because Jesus isn't the sinner we're trying to make him out to be. You can see how polarizing the two sides are. And you can see the so-called experts' next move, what, what, what their next move is. Let's see what the guy this all happened to thinks about all of this. We can't come to a decision, so we'll ask him what he thinks about all of this. Let's see what he thinks about all this. Maybe his response can help us make a decision about what happened. Verse 17. So they said to the blind man again, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. Well, to the Pharisees, this wasn't helpful at all. 
<laughs> if Jesus truly is a prophet, as this guy says, then the Pharisees have to accept everything else Jesus has leveled at them as the truth they have been held accountable for. And, if that, and that certainly was not going to happen to the Pharisees. But the Pharisees aren't quite ready to make a move yet. But to the man formerly known as the blind man, like a certain music artist, we're starting to see the movement of faith in him. We know that Jesus isn't just and only a prophet, and this man will come to that conclusion as well later on. But for him to even make that statement is meaningful. Here he is, standing in front of the Pharisees, the religious experts, and makes the statement he already knows they're not going to accept or even take well, and says it anyway. To him, the facts are too clear and too undeniable. I mean, he was the one who had experienced what he had experienced his whole life. He was the one who had experienced the healing, and he was now the one experiencing sight and a whole new world being opened to him. It was nothing short of a miracle, and since it was a miracle, the man who had performed it had to be, at the very least, a prophet of God who was the only one who had the power and Holy Spirit to perform such miracles like Elijah and Elisha. See, others can interpret what has happened in your life however they want. The facts of your life change are there. Like the crowd in this morning's passage, they may grill you, they may ridicule you, they may simply never believe you. And that's fine. Because you know, you know what Jesus has done in your life. You've been saved to eternal life with him, and nothing anyone else thinks is going to change that. If they want to mock you and leave you, let them. You'll always have Jesus. Like the Pharisees, there may be people who are so-called experts about the origin of the universe, or human morality, or definitions of truth, what is scientifically or medically possible and what isn't, or the philosophies of human behavior, who will deny what Jesus has done in your life, or reconstruct it, or manipulate it, or interpret it according to atheistic or unbiblical worldviews. But what they think they know as so-called experts does not change what the facts are. You know that it was only when you met and gave your life to Jesus in faith that you experienced any lasting life change and transformation. You know that it was only when you recommitted your life to following Jesus that you experienced any lasting life change and transformation. The so-called experts interpret the facts in only human, finite, limited, ignorant ways. At some point, a decision of faith must be made. We can, we can, we can make that decision of faith because our spiritual eyes have been opened by God the Father. Something that someone, no matter how humanly intelligent they are, will never experience unless God does it for them too. 
to them, the facts of the change in our lives we know are only from Jesus will always be unbelievable, will always be impossible, will always be absurd like our opening news headlines. It will always be that way because as God's word says in 1 Corinthians 1, God designed it to be that way. And all the misunderstanding, abandonment by those we once called friends and family, ridicule, mockery, persecution, and outright attack is okay. It's okay because we know what the facts are and we know what the truth is. And nothing anyone else thinks says or does will change the truth of those facts and of God's word. And so, we're free to live our lives to please Jesus and Jesus only. Doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about us. We're free to live our lives to please Jesus and Jesus only and to live according to his word and his word only no matter how countercultural or ridiculous or stupid that is viewed as by everyone else. We know that God has opened our spiritual eyes to put our faith in Jesus for our salvation. We know that we came to God in prayer, repented of our sin, and took Jesus as the Savior of our sin based on his death and resurrection and made him king over the rest of our lives. And we were instantly given the gift of the Holy Spirit making a home within us. We know that the Holy Spirit is the only reason we have been experiencing the life changes, transformation, and worldview, and growth of faith we've been experiencing. We know that we have the peace that only God can give, knowing he is perfect and his plan for us is perfect no matter what it holds. And we know that we have no fear of death, because that same Holy Spirit has sealed us with a 100% assurance of the heavenly home Jesus, Jesus is preparing for us right now. So, live the basic observable facts of that out in your everyday decisions. How you handle different situations, especially the tempting, fearful, angering, or confusing ones, and who you put your trust in in times of difficulty. Live out the, I was blind, Jesus saved me, now I can see, in even the simplest of ways. And when people ask you about it or wonder why you're different, have your answer ready. It was Jesus and Jesus alone. Do you want to know how you can have all of this too? The man in our account has been unashamedly just stating facts for his life change and the transformation, along with why he knew he had it. Let us also be living our lives as openly for Jesus as that as well. We have and know the facts along with the truth of why. Let them speak and let Jesus work through them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these different responses by the crowd, the so-called experts, the man who experienced this healing himself. And I pray we too would be filled with the same power and strength of the Holy Spirit to just simply live out our lives in everyday situations 
with these basic facts, that we were blind, Jesus saved us, now we can see. And when people ask us why, why are we different? Why are we not fearful? Why are we handling this differently? We can say, it's because of Jesus and Jesus alone. It had nothing to do with me. Let me tell you how you can have this too. Lord God, we thank you that you are a God of change. You are a God of redemption. You are not content to just leave us where you found us. But every single day is an opportunity for your Holy Spirit to work new change in us, work new faith growth in us. And because of that, we can look at every trial, as the Apostle James writes, as another opportunity for joy, another opportunity to know you're going to grow us in it. You're going to teach us something in it. You're going to reveal more of yourself in it. And we can have that 100% assurance that you are pre preparing that heavenly home for us that you will take us to someday. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.